just crack open that little that noggin little, of yours and noggin. open open your mind to the world of possibilities. Fill my mind up with the truth. With sin. <laughs> <laughs> Fill your mind up with sin of all kinds. Sin. Synesthesia. Synesthesia. <laughs> That's what I mean. Hey, I'm Christine. And I'm Gracie. We both have a brain condition called synesthesia, and we love it. It blends different senses together and makes our lives richer and more colorful. But my brother Ian, he's a skeptic. No, it is totally real. (laughs) So on this show, we meet incredible people and explore their amazing stories about how synesthesia is changing the world. From artists to musicians to thought leaders and scientists, People with synesthesia are everywhere, and they make our lives more colorful. Colorful. More. I hate you Colorful. Welcome to SinPod. It worked. <laughs> Jesse, your laughing makes it harder. <laughs> I will caveat. I don't think it's not a real thing. I... Just have questions every time someone says, oh, yeah, I've got synesthesia. And I'm like, do you? Sure you do. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, and it is kind of a difficult thing to actually assert that you have because each person is different and unique. And so each person's experience of it is very unique. And Mm -hmm. so if someone says to me, you know, oh, do you really have synesthesia? I I feel like all I could really say is, well, I think so. I mean, that's how my brain operates. That's how I experience the world. But no one sat me down and done some sort of neurological test to show that I actually have it. They have one online. Really? I've taken the online test. Oh, now I'm nervous. Yeah. So Hopefully I, I pass. pass. <laughs> so Ian. I have taken this online mm. test as well. And it said, I'm nowhere close to this. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about our origin stories. We are going back to the beginning to uh, talk about, between me and Gracie, how we learned we had synesthesia, how we learned what synesthesia was, how it kind of at least blew my mind when I learned about what it was, um, because it was like pieces of the world shattered because I thought everybody thought the way I thought. But then at the same time, it was like very affirming because it was like, oh, when I've said crazy things and people haven't understood or looked at me weird, it was like, an affirmation of the fact like, okay, I'm not crazy, but I'm also not alone. So I am really excited to hear your origin story. How did you, well, first of all, Gracie, what kind of synesthesia do you have? Because there are so many different kinds. There are. And how did you figure out you had it? Well, uh, from as early as I can remember, I have always associated the days of the week with very specific colors and have seen them in a very spatial, um, organized way in my brain. Um, And that's one of the earliest perceptions that I would say that I have had. The other one that's very, very strong for me is that I associate numbers um, with people. I see them as having personality and ages and existing in a specific context. Um, and it's actually a form of synesthesia called ordinal linguistic personification. And I've had it for as long as I can remember. And it's really funny because I can remember doing math problems as a child And each of the symbols signified some sort of relationship or encounter between the different numbers. Like an action verb. Yes, yeah. And so equations would tell a story. And um, I very quickly formed very strong allegiances to or hatreds of Mm -hmm. specific numbers. and I oh, always like saw, oh, I hate the number hate nine. Worst. To this day, I cannot stand the number nine. What did nine do to you? I, <laughs> that is difficult. the question, difficult. right? <laughs> well, difficult. it's funny because I know other people who love the number nine because it makes multiplication so easy and everything. But as early as I can remember, 
odd numbers were evil, yeah, and nine sure. was the most evil number of all. And then the even numbers were extremely good, oh, and yeah. ten was the most benevolent, wonderful of all numbers. Um, but it was really interesting for me because I saw them as having specific colors and personalities. And my favorite thing about these number stories is that I always thought that seven and eight were a young woman and a young man, and they were in love. Mm. But they were locked in this horrible Romeo and Juliet oh, situation, one was right? Because one was odd. They can never truly <laughs> be together. They can never be in love. So that was the like the core of every number story plot. <sighs> Was the difficulties of seven and eight in their love for each other and their warring sides in this battle of the odds versus the evens. When you look at the research on ordinal linguistic personification, everyone sees their numbers as having a very specific age. Yeah. Like for me, two And it's is not necessarily 12. the age that the number is. Right. It's just kind right. of each of them have their own format. So it's interesting. My brother has ordinal linguistic personification. And in his mind, the numbers' personalities correspond to their powers as actual mathematical numbers. So, like, 5 and 10 are the best numbers. And 9 is this, like, very beneficent, sweet queen because she is also very powerful as a number. Mm -hmm. Um, But his numbers have a much larger spectrum of ages. 9 and 10 are way older in his mind than they ever were for mine. So it's kind of interesting. It seems to really differ from person to person. But maybe it is because 7 is... Also in 17 that I think of her as 17. And what's that called? The the actual form of synesthesia. Yeah. Ordinal linguistic personification. Um, hmm. For simplicity's sake, we could just call it personifying numbers. Anyways, um, in terms of how it's influenced my life, my writing, I do think that from a very young age, I thought in terms of um, just the relationships between things and... Um, I liked to personify everything as a kid, and I think it helped me in some ways perhaps to be more empathetic because I immediately thought of and anthropomorphized everything around me. And sometimes I wonder how much that particular form of synesthesia influenced that tendency. Um, I do think that having some of those abilities to make connections in your head can help with writing, especially when your writing is taking the form of persuasive writing, Mm -hmm. because you're always trying to connect concepts and then present them in a form that's hopefully winsome to people who are listening. So I think that's pretty much it. Anything in there that you want to respond to or just I'm just gathering gathering some ammo and some (laughs) Some (laughs) gathering some ammo. Nothing to say right now. Just Okay, well, I'll tell, uh, so I've always, I have the ordinal linguistic personification as well, Mm -hmm. so I personify numbers as uh, people, Um, they're also colored, Um, so uh, like 1 through 10, they all have their specific colors, and then, you know, teens and 20s and 30s and 40s, they're all the combination of the two colors, Um, so uh, numbers are colored, I view uh, numbers as people with personalities um, and character traits. And who's the biggest jerk? The biggest jerk is definitely nine. Yes, (sighs) we are in agreement. It's like the nine freaking hate club. (laughs) And you know, but five is great. You know, like dwell on five. Like five is how great is twenty five? Twenty five is the best number in existence. I would say. Okay. It's also a really good number. I do love 25 because 7 is one of my other numbers. 2 plus 5 is 7. There's a lot of good in 25. One thing we should maybe note about ordinal linguistic personification for your just toolbox of... For my edification. Yes. For your edification. Um, Is that most people only personify numbers like 0 through 10 or 0 through 12. And then after that, any number like 25... It doesn't have its own personality per se. Yeah. It takes on the components of the numbers it's made up of. Right. Yeah. So my the personalities in my numbers are only one are 0 through 10. Um, Same with the colors, 0 through 10. Um, And then... Uh, so that's the kind I have. I also have chromesthesia. So when I hear music, I see it as color and movement. Um, I feel like the 
the best way to describe it is like if you were to get hit over the head and like you were kind of dazed and dizzy and you kind of blacked out and saw stars and sh- colors and shapes. It's sort of like that only when I hear music. Um, that's how I wake up every morning. Just stars dazed. and dizziness. Yeah. Wow. That, that sucks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, it's a cross some of us have to bear. <laughs> uh, uh, and th- those are the main ones. I would say that chromesthesia, uh, and yeah, chromesthesia is the one that affects my life the most, probably because I'm a painter. Mm-hmm. I'm an artist for a living, and music really informs my work. But I was talking to my mom the other day about synesthesia because it is genetic; it's hereditary, and I. You know, I asked her, like, so when I was little, like, I remember telling you the colors of my numbers, and I I would talk to you about their personalities, and she's like, yeah, I remember us doing that when we would do math together, and I just thought we were playing a game, And, and I was like, wait, so, like, you don't see them, like, in a certain color, and they don't have personalities, too, and she's like, no, they don't, but I just thought we were playing that as, like, a game, like, it was fun for you with math, and I thought it helped you, so I kind of went along with it, and so I, my whole life, I thought my mom had synesthesia as well, because when I would talk to her about my personalities of numbers and the colors, she was like, oh, great, yeah, love it, and, like, we would have conversations. <laughs> she's on the phone with the psychiatrist, <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> my child is sick. Um, yeah, so, so. that's why those weird people with clipboards were at our house every other day. <laughs> no. No one ever showed up to our house with clipboards. Um. Uh, yeah. Derail. Derail. Yeah, I need a choo-choo train. Derailed. Um, but yeah, so that's like I've had it since I was itty bitty child. I can't remember not having it, and I thought everybody had it, and I think my mom's supportive encouragement only you know, added to my delusional world. And was a lie. (laughs) It's all a lie. It's really funny because I feel like I had the opposite perception um, because I probably didn't have any family members that I shared my experiences with. I just kind of assumed that this was some some weird thing that I did and thought and Mm -hmm. that no one else did. So when I discovered I had synesthesia and that this was a type of synesthesia, it blew my mind. And I feel like I'm now obsessed with finding other people who specifically personify numbers because I love their stories. I think it's fascinating. But that is kind of interesting. Like for you. I assumed everyone had it. And you assumed that you were like the only one who did this. Quick question on math, though. Mm. Do you, when you like do multiplication or like division, are your numbers having little math babies? Math. Or are they like no? They're not killing, all male. Are they it's like not always killing like... little math, little maths by doing division? Or no. so I don't actually remember what the symbols stood for for me when I was doing it because it's it's just been so long. Like the numbers are all the same. The actual symbols in between, I can't remember. I do remember it would depend on whether the relationship being created was between an odd and an even Male, or between female odd and well. odd or even and even. Because if it was odd and even, they're, you know, enemies, right? So it was a battle of some sort. If it was odd and on, odd or even and even, then it was some sort of, like, getting together and planning, like, what's the next, Community you know, planning. step of... And I should add, too, like, I found out that most people with personification have very specific, like, settings mm-hmm. for their number stories. Like, they see them as happening within a specific context. So I've met a girl whose numbers were all, like, high school drama, all of them, like, different relationships and drama within themselves. I've met someone whose numbers are all, like, children set in a neighborhood, um, my brother's numbers are all like medieval, hanging out in castles, kings and queens, like very Game of Thrones, which I find so interesting because if you know my personality, you might assume that that would be the way my numbers would be, which is another reason I think it's just this random synesthesia thing because my numbers are all in outer space on separate spaceships fighting each other Star Trek style. Wow. Wow. And that's how it's always been. Like the one team and the other team, and they're fighting this big galactic battle. I would be interested to hear 
like a psychologist breakdown. <laughs> I'm just curious, like what, like why? You I, know, I have no idea. Are there people that know answers to that question? Uh, like, can we delve into that in this in this podcast? I'm, I'm a little scared now. It's like, what would they say about my setting? Do you have a specific like setting or geography? M- mine are m- m- all my numbers zero through ten are kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not necessarily like specifically the age that the number is, but they're you know around the ages that the but numbers I are. Eight was like a grandmotherly. No, not a grandma, but it is like the most matronly taking care of okay. number. Like it's yeah. the number that takes care of the other numbers. I got gotcha. Um yeah, so not she she's not a grandma, but she does take care of the other numbers. Um and is like the most understanding and like graceful of the numbers, mm-hmm. I would say. Um but they're all kids. Um and it's not like a it's it's less grand story and more like individual number story. Yeah. Well, so like I didn't know any of this thing about like your numbers having personalities or whatever growing up. Yeah. Uh, did it actually help you do math? Uh, <laughs> I'm terrible at math. Let's just say that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm I don't like you also know like I'm dyslexic and dysgraphic and like I would swap. What? What? <laughs> And so, like, swapping numbers around and writing things backwards, like, there has always been, like, a lot of confusion around letters and numbers in my head a little bit. Um, So I think it helped me memorize things like multiplication tables and helped me do, like, some math in my head, like, like really quick math. And that's very simple just because the colors when I picture it, like the color pops up immediately. And this actually speaks to how I found out that I, that not everybody thought like me was I learned that not everybody had synesthesia actually when I was in college, because I was in a physics class and we were in a group project doing some calculation, building calculators, whatever. And I was in this group with, I think it was four other uh, students and we were calculating something, and I was exhausted. It was like a Friday at the end of the week. You know, I had a lot of stress on my plate, really exhausted. And we did this calculation, and they're like, okay, like, everyone's like, what answer? Like, what's the answer? And I was like, I don't know. It's just, like, orange. And I just said that <laughs> it's, like, orange. And they're like, everyone just kind of stopped and, like, looked at me, like, are you high? <laughs> Are you okay? Are you on drugs? How much weed did you smoke? How you? much weed did you smoke before physics? Zero. I can honestly say zero percent of the weed was smoked. <laughs> um, and yeah, so they all looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'll figure out the number. But I know it's orange. It's like a burnt orange color. And they're like, what do you mean it's burnt orange? And I was like, well, everyone sees colors, like numbers as colors. Like, it's just... Like, everybody does that. And they're like, mm, <laughs> no, I don't do that. And so then I was like, wait, the whole world stopped for a second. But I found out that not everybody thought in color, colors and numbers. Um, but it was in college. And, boy, did, did I feel like an did idiot. Did you cry that night? No, I didn't cry. <laughs> but it was, it was like, ex- exciting-ish because it was like, surely I'm not the only one. Like, surely there must be others. And, like, I didn't... I knew that not everybody... I knew that for sure, like, we all couldn't have the same numbers for our, our colors um, and vice versa. I, I figured that everybody had different colors for their numbers, but I just assumed that everybody had color associations with their numbers. Did the numbers come off the page at that moment and a beautiful sweeping movie score start playing and you realize that you were the beautiful mind? Yeah, that's basically Good. exactly what happened. Yeah, I think we can call this episode a, a success and a wrap because uh, yeah. I just needed to get to the beautiful mind moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I found out I had it. And then Thanks I was like, Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the first right. episode of SinPod. And... Um, but then I feel like I had talked to, I started talking to people about it. And I feel like you were one of the people that like I had had an encounter with or something, Gracie, where... I started to talk to people about it, and I started asking them, like, hey, colors, numbers, are mm. they a unit to you? Do you associate them? And, like, I was trying to figure out, like, wait, who else has this? And because um, I feel like it was shortly, like, really not that long after, because um, I was a senior in college at that point, and yeah. we had already graduated, and we were hanging out. And I yeah, feel like we must have figured was... out what synesthesia was around the same time. 
because I remember having dinner and talking to a friend of ours, Ryan Moore, mm-hmm. who has synesthesia and had known that he had had it for a bit longer than me. And he was explaining how it worked. And as he explained his calendar, I went, yeah. oh, I do yeah. that too. And then um, – calend- What is this calendar thing? So um, synesthetic uh, – what is it called? It's the way – it has a specific synesthetic mm-hmm. name. Um what it is is essentially viewing the calendar, um, whether that's annually, like the months, um, the weeks, days of the week, uh, all in shape and color. And so, I mean, if I'm thinking about the year, it's always been an oval and summer is on the top and winter's on the bottom and spring and fall are on the, the narrow ends. It's an oval that's like on its side. So like imagine a zero turned on its side. Um, and then it's... Every month has a color to it, and um, so it's like a whole art diagram thing. Yeah, it's like a diagram, hmm. and that's the way and I you see have that it too. But everybody views them differently. I mean, my calendar, so to speak, my week is more of like a strip in my brain of you could say paper or whatever, but it, it stretches on into the horizon like endlessly, and each piece of it is allocated for a specific day. So I think I just kind of offhandedly said, well, this is this weird number thing (laughs) that I've always done. I don't think it's synesthesia, but it's just always been a part of my mind. And uh, Ryan's wife, Chelsea, said, no, my best friend has that. That's an actual thing. That's that's a synesthetic whatever you want to call it, gifting, if you will. Yeah. Um, Curse, some might say. Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, if you think about my relationship with the number nine, it is definitely cursed. Yeah, definitely so. brought there. <laughs> yeah, but I guess after that moment, I began to realize, oh, this is a thing, and I'm really fascinated by it. Right. But I think it's interesting. You really wanted to know people's colors. I wanted to know their stories, like their yeah. number stories. That was always something that just was um, so, so fascinating to me. So I think I mentioned offhand at a point when you were in the room that I had recently learned yeah. this number stories thing. And you said, oh, I do that too. Yeah. And so then it was so fun to connect and hear in such detail just how right. different and similar you know, right. our stories were at various points. And then right. also colors as well but um right I and i think i couldn't remember your um number colors but the funny thing is i still remember a couple of their stories that it just stuck in my brain because they were so different from mine so <laughs> wait yeah. so which one stuck in your brain about my number story okay which one of your numbers did you say is kind of like a sweet granny Eight. 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 Okay. Like, yeah. And yeah. eight for me is like the rugged, handsome young right. man. So yeah. that was really weird. Um, that's the number that I think stood out to me most. It, it oh, was like funny. a sweet, lovable granny. I thought it was either eight or nine. So I knew it couldn't be nine. I was yeah, guessing it was eight. eight. Yeah. Are those mutually exclusive? <laughs> <laughs> a sweet, lovable granny. Who's uh, also a rugged, handsome young man. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Distant Moon. Distant Moon is one of the fastest growing film production and media companies in the United States. Look, if you run a business or nonprofit or work at an ad agency, you know how hard it is to connect with new audiences. We're not talking about meaningless views or vanity metrics. We're talking real, memorable audience experiences where the audience actually remembers your brand or movement story. Over the last decade of crafting video for some of the largest brands in the world, we've realized a key fact, audiences don't care until they realize that we, the storytellers, care. That's why we're passionate about creating content that moves the heart, strengthens the mind, and makes the world a better place for everyone. If that sounds good to you, we'd love to work with you. Visit us and get in touch at distantmoonmedia.com. That's distantmoonmedia.com. I was reading an article 
a couple weeks ago about a person who um, associates names with, I believe it was really strong tastes Mm -hmm. to the point where it completely controlled his dating life (laughs) because the girl could have nothing in common with him. But if she had a name that tasted good, good, then he would go out with her. But if she was beautiful and smart and funny, but he hated her name and like the taste of her name that yeah. it made in his mouth, he could not go out with her. Wow. So strong. Yeah. Changing which course to be so Rebecca, I <laughs> Rebecca's find a that Huckleberry for you sure. taste delicious to me. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what is that called? Lexical gustatory synesthesia. Yeah. And it's extremely, extremely rare yeah. for people to have a specific taste associated with words, but yeah. some people have it. Yeah, that's crazy. And I can imagine that being one that could really make your life difficult. Yeah, especially yeah, just because there's so many bad tastes. Like I wouldn't yeah. say that there are like really bad colors, you know, like there's some like nasty poop colors, yeah. but or like you know, booger green. Booger green. Don't but like even that color. booger green. Booger green looks and tastes delightful. Well, <laughs> booger green like it could be a pretty color out of in a different context, like honestly. So like I don't think yeah. there are any really bad colors. It's just because you've said the word booger that has a negative connotation. It's but funny. just There's... the color on its own. I prefer to color. think of it as nose gold green. Nose gold. <laughs> Yeah, those nuggets, digging those nuggies. So I'm just curious, um, when did you start painting? And how did maybe your perceptions of music and color specifically influence yeah. your love of that? Because you started painting pretty early on, didn't you? Yeah, so my mom was, you know, a professional. She is a professional graphic designer and, you know, studied art history. And so for Ian and I both growing up, she always gave us lots of access to art supplies. There was, you know, she had a graphic design, like, room that was um, filled with papers and pens and markers and paints. And, like, it was just like a candy shop. And so, yeah. It was pretty cool. It was, it was yeah. yeah, it was really cool. So I, the first time I remember painting was um, I did a tulip collection at two years old, and I did hundreds of these tulips, and they were very impressionistic, and my mom still has one framed to this day in her bathroom. Oh, I love that. Which means a lot to me. But, yeah, I, I think the reason color and sound have strong associations um, to me is a couple of – I mean, this is my guess um, – that I had a lot of ear infections when I was a little kid. Mm. And so hearing things was really like breathing. Like it was like really important for me to hear things. And I really focused on hearing things because I would have ear infections a lot and my ears were in a lot of pain. And so I paid a lot of attention to what I was hearing and if I was hearing enough as a little, little kid. And so I am an auditory learner as a result. I can I, you know, I'm not a visual person, you know, contrary to what you might think being a painter. um, I'm definitely auditory dominant. Um, I learn best auditorily. It's just my preferred method of learning and and receiving information is through my ears. But I think it's because I have a lot of ear infections. But also when we would create as little kids, me and my brother, my mom would often be reading aloud to us. And so Um, or music would be playing, or books on tape would be playing. And so I was really orally stimulated while I was creating and painting as a child. And so, you know, to this day as an artist, my best work is done when I'm listening to either a book on tape or music. And that's like the only way I can get into a creative flow state where it's like the work is moving through me and I'm not even a part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, that would be my guess anyway, is that having a lot of ear infections plus, you know, my mother and being really auditorily stimulated while I was creating my entire childhood, you know, led to yeah. those strong associations of color and sound. Uh, so, that would be my guess. So as as a skeptic, though. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the same identical house. household, did the exact same activities. Yeah. And I... And you're not gifted. <laughs> shame. Clear. shame. We believe Ian is a very gifted person. Synesthesia I just want to no remind everyone that it is my brother. So, like, this isn't a stranger that I'm chiding. It's my brother. Yeah, I'm going to just step but, out and cry for a moment. But one thing... <laughs> 
One thing I would say that's really interesting about your story and that fits with what I've been learning as I've been reading about synesthesia is that oftentimes, so most of us have the genes for it. Like one in 30 humans have the genes for synesthesia. And most young children think synesthetically up until perhaps the age of about two. And then their brains start to discard the synesthetic components that they use to think with because they're no longer necessary. But what happens is kids who for any reason are learning very complex things or who are struggling to learn will keep the synesthetic portions of their brain firing and active because they help them learn their letters, their numbers, and other things. So for Christine, it sounds like probably having ear infections, making it more difficult to hear, could have been a big piece of that. Mm. Having dyslexia and dysgraphia also probably were a big piece of those being Mm. such vivid and important parts of your brain that you held on to over time. And I have no idea what's different about me than my siblings it's interesting that my brother yeah, does your brother have has it. it yeah um yeah, your brother does but for whatever reason you know maybe we were just the ones that continued to hold on to and require those right you know components and connections so maybe you were synesthetic at age one and and now you are as we see you today grown out of it well it i will admit for all listening that i know next to nothing about synesthesia, which could be a reason for my skepticism. Uh, <laughs> and I think it'll be interesting as we bring on, uh, hopefully, multiple experts and people who can talk yeah. to like brain studies and yeah. tests, uh, as well as hearing the stories of, uh, you know, artists and makers, and politicians and, and makers and, and yeah. politicians. Yeah, I think I think it would be interesting <laughs> to hear. Yeah, very colorful minds. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anyone who is more creative with the truth <laughs> than our favorite well, politicians. Well, one thing that I think, like, <clears throat> like your you started to say that like you we grew up in the same house and had so many of the same experiences but mm. you don't have any of these same synesthetic associations or strong impulses the way i do i what, will i will say, like i i guess like the thing that seems like a big question in my mind and maybe like over the course of other episodes this will be answered but like for me i have a very very strong correlation between music and emotions Mm -hmm. Um, and I would not say I'm synesthetic in any sense. I've taken online quizzes and tests and they all come back negative. Um, and I don't particularly care whether or not I'm synesthetic. Uh, and yet I would say I am listening to music probably at least 60% of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and not just like one genre of music, literally from like Fred Astaire back to Beethoven up through... Uh, Ludovico Einaudi to, uh, to, you know, Rihanna to like literally any, yeah, I listened to Katy Perry. I mean, I listened to (laughs) literally everything everything, and I get a lot of different emotional like fulfillment and Mm -hmm. sensation from like listening to music throughout the day. Um, but from what I hear you guys saying, that's like very different from like what a synesthete experience is. And I guess my question is like, why? I don't. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's very different. Like, that's, like, a really big part of my painting is, like, is energy curation is what I like to call it. It's, like, I'm, depending on the aesthetic that I'm trying to paint, I will choose music that feeds that energy. Does that make Does that make sense to you? Like, Yeah, but you, then that's not synesthesia. No, that's not synesthesia, but I, I also see the music as color. And so for whatever mood I want my painting to turn out to be, whatever that vibe is, if you will, I pick music that has the colors and the movements that feed that vibe. But you also feel something. But I also feel you... the emotional yeah. aspect of it, too. So like, yeah. I don't think that you having strong emotional connections to music is different. It's just not specifically maybe an area of synesthesia that's been uncovered. And maybe we can talk to some experts about that. But also, like, synesthesia, I think, traditionally is, like, sensory, sensory connections. And so an emotion, you know, while senses feed into your emotions, obviously... Um, 
an emotion isn't like a physical sense driven thing. So I think I, I don't think it's not connected. Um, well, it's interesting because I don't have chromesthesia. I I wouldn't say I don't see color when I listen to music, but I am extremely emotional when I listen to music. And there's certain songs that will still give me chills and make me cry if mm-hmm. I just sit down and listen to them. Yeah. I just think that's another component that's of how I interact element, with music. Yeah. And I think a lot of people I think a lot of people do. That way. But, yeah. you know, when I hear The Lark Ascending by oh, yeah. Rafon Williams... Like, I get chills and I start to tear up every single time. And I remember the first time I heard that piece of music, just, like, pausing everything I was doing. I think I just stood in the room until the song was done. Um, So, yeah, I think it can can be very strong. Can you hum a few bars? <laughs> no. <laughs> I will not, not make anyone don't suffer adulterate that. the music. <laughs> What are some of the craziest things that you gifted ones have experienced the as a, the chosen, the chosen two <laughs> have experienced uh, with this yeah. manna from heaven? Manna from heaven. Yeah. Go ahead, crazy. And I say that sarcastically, but I, I don't actually, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm like mocking synesthesia because yeah. uh, though I might be skeptical of some people's claims that they have synesthesia. Uh, I would be, no one would be happier than I to be convinced that all of my skepticisms were for naught. Um, so hopefully, hopefully you guys can bring the, bring the guns of logic and, and persuasion over the course of this season to, to crush my, my feeble skepticism. Yeah. Um, but that, that aside, what, uh, what are some of the crazy stories? I don't think I've experienced anything too crazy. I think most of the time, if I bring it up, people think that it is weird or out of the box. Or Or not real. Or not real. Yeah, something just kind of made up. They might look at it with a lot of skepticism, understandably, if they don't see or think that way. Um, And I, I would say that as someone who's always been a little bit of a nerd and a very imaginative child who got very passionate about saving all the baby birds and, you know, gave flowers personalities and made up stories about the trees, I was probably very used to (laughs) being perceived and received with a lot of skepticism and a lot of little pats on the head like, sure, Gracie, sure, you really think that that tree has a whole story about it. But um, so synesthesia probably fit for me in with all of those other things, which is why I think, too, I was so excited. when I discovered that other people were this way because I kind of had just put it in that box of weird things I do because I'm a strange, nerdy little child who loves to read Lucy Maud Montgomery and other books. So, yeah. Is it possible, though, that someone who thinks they're synesthetic could just be, like, crazy imaginative? I mean, I would say to some extent, um, like I told you, for instance, I, I see and can really sense a lot of color when I think of an instrument, but I still don't think I have chromesthesia because I don't have colors playing through my head when I hear that music. It's just Mm -hmm. if I think of an oboe, I think of that color, but I think that could just be my own imaginative self enjoying the fact that I associate that sort of pearly deep sound with the color blue. I think that's more of a creative imaginative thing for me than an actual Mm. sensory connection that my brain is maybe making. So so then I I guess like boil it down for me at like a really dumbed down level. Like what would be the difference between someone having like a crazy gifting of imagination and a true like synesthesia? It's like involuntary. Like, Like if I'm hearing music literally... Like with 
like, and it's not even, it's something that I can, like, ignore, not pay attention to, but, like, on the surface of some layer of my brain, there's color and shape and movement and things are pulsating. And I can focus on it if I want to, but as I'm hearing the sound via chromesthesia, it's, it's another layer that's happening on top of my reality, and I can I can tune into it more or less, but it's happening, and I'm not paying attention yeah. to it. Yeah, I would say it's generally synesthesia is involuntary, it's instantaneous, and it's consistent. So, yeah. for instance, the the reason in large part I know that I personify numbers and that that's a separate thing is because it's as early as I can remember. It's instantaneous when I think of the numbers. I can see it in my brain when I think of the number seven immediately. And it's been consistent over time. Yeah. Like if you ask and me. And that's why you probably don't score on the test because when right. I've taken synesthesia tests, it's like 98%. 100, like accuracy of yes, you're synesthetic because my numbers and colors are consistent over after answering 150 questions. It's consistent. It's involuntary, and yeah. I'm not thinking about it. Yeah, and that that you was directed at me. I believe at Ian. Yes, <laughs> yes. I felt like sorry, yelling, sorry. You talking to me? <laughs> yes. Are you sorry. talking to me? I feel like that, <laughs> I feel like that's the difference. Is that it's involuntary. It's instantaneous. It's been going on since as long as you can remember. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're creating this because I'm sure anybody when like I'm sure you Ian when you listen to music you can imagine colors mm-hmm. and you could think of something that's maybe moving around and you could think of shapes but um that's not something that that happens be you would have to think about it in order for that yeah. to materialize and like for instance you could say to a person with synesthesia oh that cello is so green and they would have an immediately gut reaction of yes or no whereas to me I'm like oh I can kind of see it as green I can also kind of see it as purple and like so for me I can tell it's something that I enjoy imaginatively but it's not an immediate gut sense of what that thing is and for me, every instrument literally is the color that that instrument actually is. <laughs> well, it Cellos is funny. are reddish brown. Right. Violins are reddish brown. <laughs> Pianos are black or brown. And white. <laughs> no white. Only no, the keys. What about the keys? Only the, the Elton and white John keys? pianos are white. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. Look, I get it. You're tired of the ads, you're tired of poorly made videos on the web, and you can't wait to slam the skip button on YouTube into the core of the earth, or at least into your desk. But what if advertising and media could be entertaining and informative? What if it could actually make the world a better place? Well, that's our mission at Distant Moon. We think the best marketing for a brand or movement is actually just plain good-hearted, human-focused storytelling. So if you want to partner with a company creating clutch content that actually makes audiences want to engage with your company, nonprofit, movement, or story, hit us up at Distant Moon. We're the filmmakers and storytellers behind many of the world's most successful brands, nonprofits, and campaigns that you've seen out in the world. We're kind of like the Wizard of Oz, uh, but if the wizard was actually, you know, doing cool crap that made the world a better place. So visit us and get in touch at distantmoonmedia.com. Okay, Christine, crazy stories. Well, so um, I've always thought of myself as exceptionally cool. So I'm just joking. joking. Um, People either are like super disinterested and like, oh, cool, cute story. Or if if I mention it and someone else has it and didn't know that they had it, it's usually like, an atomic bomb of excitement and like squealing and like wait 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 and like lots of um 
like an hour plus several hours long conversation ensues, I feel like it's like one of the two responses. That must be really hard if you get in a conversation with someone about synesthesia at the grocery store and then you just are like squealing and jumping up and down and talking for an hour in the middle of the produce section. It, you know, it hasn't ever happened in the grocery store, but, you know, I'm open to it. Library? I'm, no, not library. Public park? No. I feel like you have to uh, know someone <laughs> to ask them. Well, I'm pretty open about it now. Like maybe I think that's a definite key thing about my personality is I let it all hang out there, you know, like (laughs) you walk around. Hi, I have synesthesia. (laughs) Um, But like, I'm not afraid to like hide the weird. Like, I don't feel like I hide the weird quirks and things of uh, who I am. Um, Because I think those are what make people interesting. So I don't mind. Well, it is interesting. Like my my gut reaction is, oh, you have to know someone relatively well to ask that. But I think it has more to do with the fact that we're just, as Americans, perhaps, our small talk is generally <laughs> rather boring. And it is kind it of is? hard to me. I, I don't know. I'm not good at small talk. I'm an, an introvert. I have often thought that it would be wonderful if you could just skip all of the niceties and delve straight into a question like, do you have synesthesia? Maybe I should start doing that. Yeah, I say go for it. Why hold back? Why conform to society's standards of what conversation should be? talk about the weather if we don't have to talk about the weather. Don't do it. Yeah. It's a great day outside, isn't it, Grace? (laughs) Screw you! I've got synesthesia! (laughs) (laughs) Don't talk to me about the weather! (laughs) Don't talk about your darn blue skies. <laughs> I say they're orange. <laughs> Which, oh, if you know me, sounds exactly <laughs> like yeah, that's something that I was That was, that was <laughs> dead on. Impression. Impression of Grace Olmsted. <laughs> yeah, the okay. screw you is really what reminded <laughs> <Yeah>. me of <laughs> That's exactly something Grace would say. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so where is this whole podcast going what's the point of this thing i mean maybe down the toilet if we can't convince you (laughs) (laughs) who knows um i think where we're going from here is we want to highlight some of the people who've impacted all of our lives so you know everyone from musicians artists uh, creatives, you know, makers of all kinds, but also politicians, lawyers, doctors, engineers, um, people of all kinds have synesthesia, and synesthesia has numerous different kinds of uh, variations to it. It's not just colors and numbers. It's not just chromesthesia. Uh, it's the incorporation of all of your senses in different combinations, and um, so there are a lot of different kinds, and what we want to do is we want to talk to people who have synesthesia um, from all over the world and hear their stories and share with you how their synesthesia has impacted the products and services and, you know, world-changing decisions that we all live with every day. What are we, what are we, like, will we only be interviewing people with synesthesia or will we be able to talk to, like, Oh, no, I definitely hope we're going to talk to a couple of experts, uh, neurologists who've studied this, people who have done a lot of testing both on the human brain to understand how this works and then also who have interacted with lots of people who right. have it right. to understand why it works differently right. kind of from person to person. Yeah. So that is one of the goals and one of the primary goals too because obviously you are not the only skeptic out yeah. there and so there's people who need to hear from someone who has studied this that it is a thing, that it is a genetic thing with hereditary components, and that it is something that we can actually cultivate, which I have also found and I think is super interesting, that it's something that you can um, kind of just, um, what's the word I would think of, kind of, cultivate in your brain, I guess, to Mm. strengthen or to hone or to understand better, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're going to definitely talk to some experts, and I'm really excited about that. There are, you know, it's something unique in and of itself that um, I think is a perhaps more powerful driver than uh, we've given it credit for in history. And so we want to talk to not only people who have it, but also experts and scientists, um, to hopefully open your mind up a little bit more if you're like Ian, you know, a little bit more of a skeptic. A huge skeptic. <laughs> huge. It's going to be huge. Um, All the skepticism. 
we want to just bring a lot of different pieces to the table to have these conversations and hopefully, um, you know, open your mind to different ways of thinking and, and understanding other, other uh, paths of legitimate uh, ways of thinking about things or processing things that lead to the world that we live in today. What if I don't like having my mind open to alternate ways of thinking? Is this podcast for me? <laughs> I think you'll still hear some really interesting stories. And even if uh, you're, you don't consider yourself an open-minded individual, I think that's okay. I, I think it's still edifying because you're going to get to hear from really cool people uh, and understand at least the way other people see the world. Even if you don't agree with it or maybe you don't believe it's real, they exist in the world that you live in. I think that that's valuable in and of itself to understand and hear other people's stories. Well, I'm looking forward to being presented the data. The data. We will tabulate all of the facts. (laughs) And uh, we shall see where synesthesia falls in the balance. In Ian's balance, on Ian's scale. And I've been working on this joke for at least two weeks. Let's see if I can ruin it. Color me unconvinced. (laughs) Unconvinced. (laughs) Love it. Great joke. Goodness. Okay, cool. Well, see you later, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to our show. We're having a blast making it, but we're just getting started and we need your help. If you want more episodes and to hear from some of the leading artists, thought leaders, and scientists discussing how synesthesia is shaping our world, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you can get each awesome new episode automatically delivered to you. And please leave a review. That's one of the best ways for people to find our show. This show features Christine Olmsted, Grace Olmsted, and me. Ian Reed. Our producer is Alana Varley, and the show is mixed by beloved beard model, Jesse Eastman. Our title music is by Virgil Arles, with additional music by Captain and Thad Kopeck. Sinpod is recorded and produced by Distant Moon Media. Catch you all next week.